Grace Church, under the tent, welcome this morning. We're glad that we can meet this morning and be under the tent and have everybody. We're increasing the seats here and, and uh, having more people join us. We are a Christ-centered community. Even though we're under the tent, whether we're inside or outside, we are a Christ commun Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus, no matter where we are. Remember, we have offering boxes in the back for your offerings on Sunday, and you can still give online. And I have a few announcements for the summer calendar. Starting this, this uh, coming Friday, what's taking the place of Music Mania this week, this year, is our all-church musical. We'll be meeting here under the tent on Friday night, starting at 6 o'clock for a picnic, watching family videos, and uh, some worship time. We have Beach Day coming up on August the 2nd. August the 2nd. And on that day as well, we're having baptisms. Baptisms will be here under the tent. So that will be second service. Also coming up on August the 16th, we're having parent-child dedication. So if you know someone or someone would like to have be dedicated, we're doing that on the 16th. And then starting in the month of August, We'll be going to two services to beat the heat. So the heat in the, during third service, we're going to bring everybody together and put in more seats even then and have everybody join in first and second service only starting in August. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? We have Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Psalm 96, 1 through 6. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Join me in prayer. Father, you give us words to worship you. You have inspired men and given them words to glorify and honor you. We lift up our voices in song. We lift up our spirit to honor and glorify you. In the words you have given us, we humble ourselves to remember what you have done for us, in Jesus' name. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You, my God, and you saved my soul. Alone, I'm 
are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all. You are stronger, you are stronger, sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of
will outshine them all. Come joy or come sorrow, whatever befalls, the light of the Savior will outshine them all. Yes, please remain standing for the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. And as Pastor Mike often reminds us, this is the only perfect part of our worship service. So we'll be reading through Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 12 to 13, chapter 2, 24 to 26, and chapter 3, 10 to 13. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 12 to 13. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I have applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Chapter 2, 24 to 26. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So before we pray, I want to remind us of Lily and Fali Ravwangi, uh, Rav our newest missionaries uh, here at Grace Church that live in Madagascar and are doing the work of the gospel and training pastors there. So join me in prayer. Father, you are sovereign over all things. Our worship and adoration belong to you. We are a broken people, consumed by our sin, intolerant to others, and we pray you would have mercy on us. You reign over the wicked and the righteous together. You choose what our lives are to be about. We depend completely on you for our daily sustenance, for the air we breathe, and the beat of our hearts. Each day, you have given us a task to do in which, you give, in which we give glory to you. You have put eternity in our hearts, and we are thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit you have poured into our hearts, that we may be able to love one another with the love that you have loved us with. And we pray now for the working of your Holy Spirit in the life of Fali, Ravwangani, and his family. We pray for the spread of the gospel and the transformation of lost souls to the kingdom of heaven in Madagascar. And we pray now for the preaching of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit, now in the hearts of the hearers, that we would be blessed 
with your truth and with the conviction of our sin through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this anchor. We thank you that we can cling to Christ who is steady and steadfast, the rock of our salvation. Thank you that no pandemic, no broken relationship, that no distraction can move the immovable rock. Thank you that our salvation does not depend on our works or our goodness or our striving, but on the shed blood of Christ, sacrificed on our behalf that we could trust and know and love our Lord and King. Father, we thank you for this anchor. We thank you for this rock. Would we be firm and steadfast because we have fixed ourselves. You have fixed us to Christ, our anchor. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis, as a grieving widower, wrote the book, A Grief Observed. And in that book, A Grief Observed, he shocked his readers as he wrote these words. Where is God? Where is God? He went on, where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away, Lewis said. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Those words pushed people from their comfort zone, like shoved them off balance. It was exactly what they needed to hear. Us too. We think that we can figure life out. We're looking so often for the wrong things, we're asking the wrong questions, we're coming to the wrong conclusions. At this point, Point. We have finished three chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, 25% uh, of the book, and I really want us to, to pause today and, and really summarize the first three chapters and ask the question, what is it about living in light of dying did Solomon figure out to help us navigate life? What does God want deposited in our memory banks and in our hearts and I think it has something to do with God's hiddenness, that he is often silent, but also his nearness. It's his providence and his presence, and also his mighty deeds. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes around 940 to 932 BC to teach wisdom, to teach us to worship God to obey his commands and to demolish all human effort and to set the foundation of the sovereignty of God over everything. And some people say of Solomon, well, he just, 
he viewed the world as a total pessimist. Or they'll say, no, he viewed the world as a total know-it-all with all the answers. It's neither. Ecclesiastes is deeply theological, deeply rooted in the doctrine of God. Uh, it's for thinkers. Ecclesiastes is for theological thinkers. It keeps you God-centered. It, it highlights the greatness of God as it accentuates mankind's sin. There were three chapters into this book, and God has only been referenced 11 times so far by name. But he is the baseline anchoring everything. He is the foundation. And so you have deep theological truths of the doctrine of God being taught. And so far in these three chapters, we've seen God's sovereignty and control over mankind. We have seen God's providential grace. We have seen his perfection as the eternal creator. We've seen his justice. We've seen his holiness. We've seen this idea that we are to worship God out of reverential fear. In the whole book of Ecclesiastes, God is mentioned 40 times by name. It is so that we would confess that he is the one true God, that he is the one who is exalted above all, that he is over all. This is what Solomon wants you getting from Ecclesiastes. So today... Let's zero in, let's focus as we look at these, these uh, three chapters, these first three chapters, what's it really like to follow the hidden, present, active God? I'm going to present to you three statements to sum up the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes that relate to fearing and obeying God, fearing and following God. The first statement is this, God sometimes seems hidden. God sometimes seems hidden. If you start in chapter 1, over at verse 12, after Solomon has said, look, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, it's all habel, it's all a mist, it's all a vapor, it's fleeting. You go over to verse 12 and it says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And he said this, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So there you have it. Welcome to Ecclesiastes. Welcome to life. It's an unhappy business. What a selling point. It's talking about God's hidden sovereignty and control over mankind. Look, I can, I can spend hours walking a stream fishing for trout. The Sierras, the San Bernardino Mountains, Tennessee where my in-laws are, uh, the Sequoias where by the grace of God I'll be by tonight. We shall wet a line a few days this week, maybe hopefully every day. But I could be there all day long. I, I just, I love doing that. But it's interesting, even with polarized sunglasses, you can't see the fish in the stream. God made them to be hidden. They're built that way. They're, they're always hidden. God made them to hide well in water. Make it harder for me to catch them. That's how life is. This is how life 
is. Things are hidden. God is hidden. You can't see. God seems hidden and silent and undetectable often. I mean, some of you have been looking for the answers for a long time, and you're a Christian trusting in the finished work of Christ, and you still haven't found what you're looking for. Why are we so confused? Why are we so confused? I think it's because a lot of us are living our lives as if we're in charge of everything. We're constantly looking for what we've decided we want and what we need. And then we live our life uh, confirming our rightness. I mean, some of you are like this, like, I need a spouse who will do and say exactly what will make me happy. No, you don't. You need a spouse that won't put up with your foolishness. Some of you are saying, I need friends that will agree with my viewpoints on everything. No, you don't. You need friends that will actually speak the truth honestly to you and ask probing questions. Some of you are like, I need a church that's aligned exactly with what I think is true. No, you don't. You need a church that will lovingly preach the word of God to you. Some of you are like, I need to find the right book. How many times have I heard, Pastor Mike, what book would you recommend? Or this, that, or the other? I need to find the right book that will answer all of my questions. I've got a book for you. You need to read and to hear and to obey the book, first and foremost. I mean, think about it. You're seeking the will of God. Seeking the will of God is more than trying to find out the answer to a situation in a certain moment. Then you can walk on and say, I've got the answer. Seeking the will of God is being surrendered to the will of God at every moment of your life. And some of you are sincerely seeking God. And you only get silence. And the silence can feel deafening. J.I. Packer went home to Christ this week. He, he wrote a book that became an instant classic in 1973, Knowing God. I keep a copy close. I refer to it often. Here's what he said. It's a mistake to think the gift of wisdom consists in a deepened insight into providential meaning and purpose of events going on around us. It's a mistake to think that it's the ability to see why God has done what he has done in a particular case and what he is going to do next. Let me put it like this. You don't get a private seat in God's air traffic control center. You have no leverage to control your life. And what wisdom does is acknowledges this is tough. This world is hard to understand. It's out of my control. This is what we, we've learned all in chapter one. We are not in control and we cannot figure this out. We need to admit that God has hidden from us most of what we'd like to know about his providential purposes. I mean, are you confused with the way the world is going? So am I. Are you confused with how your life is going? So am I. I mean, welcome to the club. I mean, do you need a membership card? 
God seems hidden. His ways past finding out. He, he told us that. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. God rules the world, hides himself like a trout in a stream. It doesn't matter what kind of glasses you're using, you are not going to see him. God the Son, Jesus Christ, ever feel like God the Father was hidden? Here you have God the Son, Jesus Christ, perfect communion in the Trinity, perfect fellowship in the Trinity. Did he ever feel like God the Father was hidden? Here you have this Isaiah 53, man of sorrows acquainted with grief on the cross crying out. First verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every one of you need to grasp this truth. I, I say it a lot, but OGK, only God knows. What do you do with that? You pray hard. You pray hard. You, you pour your heart out to God. You, you pour yourself out to God and say, I'm going to trust you for what I cannot see and what I cannot understand. Pray hard, dependently. Like, like, Lord Jesus, take away anything in my life that breaks close communion with you. Lord Jesus, take away any desire that would hinder. One writer put it this way, that Ecclesiastes should leave you hungry to know God. I hope that three chapters in, you are hungrier as you wrestle with God's hiddenness. Sometimes God seems hidden. That's the first statement. It leads us to a second statement that encourages our hearts in the midst of the hiddenness of God. The second statement is God is present with believers. God sometimes seems hidden, yet he is present with believers. Believers, and this is about God's providential grace. Go to chapter two and look at verses 24 through 26 with me. This is one of those seize the day, carpe diem passages in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is so good at. In verse 24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God is giving, God is granting. Before apart from him, verse 25, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Like, your good appetite is a gift from God. Praise God. Don't be a glutton. But a good appetite is a gift from God. Verse 26, for to the one who pleases him, to the one who's trusting him, fearing him, worshiping him, today in 2020, it's the person trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross in your place who shed his blood as your substitute who died, was buried, who rose on the third day, who is reigning now and is returning with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who do not. 
to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Where do you find wisdom and knowledge and joy? In God, who is present and who has given us his word. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This is vanity and striving after wind. Again, there you have that word, habel, mist, vapor. God is present with believers. A child cries out in the middle of the night for his mommy. Mommy, I'm scared, I'm scared. And no mommy just says, you know, up from down the hall, gotcha, son or daughter, you're good. I'm here, uh, we'll see you in the morning. She's gonna yell down from the, from the hallway and just say, you're good. Thanks for letting me know you're scared. That's not what mommy does. Mommy comes running. The voice is accompanied with presence. You bless people with your presence. No longer alone, no longer hidden, no longer just in the dark, afraid. Mommy's there. Comforting. Assuring. Reassuring. Jesus promised his presence. What did he promise? He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. God promised his presence. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God has given us his word. We, we, we bank on the presence of God because we know what the word says. Wisdom is knowing and doing the will of God revealed in God's word. It's understanding his design. It's being aligned with him. I mean, you don't learn about God's judgment by observing the world or by experience. You learn God's judgment because you hear God say it. God in his word tells you he is trustworthy, that he will judge in his time, that there is a season and a time for everything, including judgment. In the word of God, we learn of the presence of God. I go over to Psalm 19. My favorite passages of this the goodness of God's word. Psalm 19 begins with the general revelation of God and moves quickly in verse 7 to the special revelation of God in the word of God. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It does good. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then it says this, more to be desired than gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And then it says, by them your servant is warned. Because God who is present has spoken. Hebrews 1 tells us that in the, in the beforehand, before the last days, he spoke in many times and in many portions the prophets, the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, by your word, your servant is warned, and keeping him there is great reward. 
It culminates with this prayer of worship that let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my present God. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how you know the presence of God. Job knew the hiddenness of God. Job knew the silence of God. In in his pain and his suffering, he cries out to God again and again and again. He keeps asking for 37 chapters. Job cries out for God's help, and his cries are met with silence. And then, God thundered when he spoke. In Matthew 1.23, we read these words, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When you hear God's silence and you feel his absence, trust his presence. God is with you, believer, and active even when he is silent. The wise learn to walk by faith. In fact, Ecclesiastes is the faith book of the Old Testament. It's about walking by faith, and, and it's also the joy book of the Old Testament. It's like the Philippians of the Old Testament. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many times does Solomon say, rejoice in God's goodness and his gifts? Ecclesiastes is joyful. A lot of people think it's sorrowful. It is joyful. The Jews would read it in the synagogue on the third day of the Feast of Tabernacles, on the Feast of Booths. Late September, early October, this was this joyful festival, a festival of great joy to remember their wilderness experience and God's deliverance. A lot of people consider Ecclesiastes pessimistic. It is realistic. And it is God-centered, and it is joy-filled, just like your life ought to be. I mean, this answers your struggle with sin while you pursue holiness after coming to faith in Christ, that you are God-dependent for every part of life, just like you were God-dependent on God for every part of salvation. You were adopted into the family of God. You were predestined. Your destination was determined before the journey began. You were regenerated. God made the dead to live. You heard the gospel call. You were justified. You're being sanctified. God is using yielded you right now. Even as you struggle in this moment, even as you struggle, and you might even say, but I don't know where the fruit is. The Bible speaks of the fruit of a life that is yielded to God and how the root is faith and the fruit comes and sometimes you can't see the fruit But Jesus spoke of it in John 15. And he says, you know, abide in me and I in you. You'll bear much fruit. He says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can't do nothing. God is hidden, yet present. And he's given us his word to remind us. This is why we're preaching a present savior crucified buried risen reigning returning this is our gospel hope folks this is our gospel hope 
God's presence in Christ is our lifeblood. We serve dependently, we serve joyfully at the king's command. He's the king, we serve for his glory alone. This is why we call sinners to repentance. Because only the gospel can redeem the fallen human heart. At the core of the problem is depravity. And so, if you don't know Christ today, you need to come to Christ. You need to believe in Christ. You need to cling to Christ. You need to trust in Christ. Who was crucified in your place, on the cross, shedding his blood to pay the penalty you deserved. Dying so that you could go free. Jesus said, if the, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You who feel so shackled by sin in Christ, you are free. He is present with every believer. You are dependent. So when you come to that first statement and you, and you get shocked by it, that God sometimes seems hidden, it gets to the point where you're like, you know what? Only God knows I'm gonna pray hard. What really encourages your heart is when you hear that God is present with believers. And you're like, only God satisfies. That's what chapter two taught us. Only God satisfies. You're looking at all these places in life and they can't satisfy you. They'll ruin you. I plead with you, look to Christ who alone satisfies Look in the word, cling to the word. This is where you find out about this. And then a third statement. Not only is God hidden and present, but he is at work in believers. God is at work in believers. Look over in chapter three, verses nine, we'll go to nine to 13. And Solomon is saying, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the, the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in its time, timely, appropriate, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's the hiddenness. I perceived, he said, that there's nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as you live and everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in the toil. This is God's gift. This is God's gift. We're talking about God's perfection as the eternal creator of all. That his intervention and his personal attention and his actions are not haphazard. They're not random. They're not disorganized. They're not aimless. They're purposeful. No matter what it looks like, God's in control. He makes known his will for his people in the word. Some of you just need to stop putting so much effort into all the things that are God's job and just do your job. Don't spend your time comparing yourself to others. Uh, just reject your sinful reactions. Realize that life's really tough circumstances humble you and, and live dependent on God. I mean, do what Ecclesiastes 3.14 says. Just worship God in reverential fear. He says in verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. This is 
Psalm 96, verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth, everyone. I mean, this is what Ecclesiastes says at the very end of the book. Fear God and keep his commands. Worship God and obey his word. But what that assumes is a present, active God whose bigger goal is his glory, whose goal in your life is more than your well-being and comfort. Your prayers should change, and as you pour over the word, or you keep your nose in the book, that you would be praying not, oh Lord, what do you want me to do, but what should I do for you and your kingdom? Where would you want me operating for your kingdom? Remember, he's the judge. In chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Solomon says in his heart, God's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. There is a time for every matter and every work. It says in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, God is testing them, proving them, trying them, that they would see that they are but beasts. We're talking about God's justice. We're talking about God's holiness. Aristotle basically said, just be happy and moral. A lot of Christians live like that. I'm just going to be happy and try to be good. But that's not Christian living. Epicurus said, oh, just seek pleasure because that's all you have. A lot of professing Christians just do that. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, no. There is a creator who will judge any abuse of the gifts he gives. And so, yes, be happy and be moral and and be wise, but seek your satisfaction in God alone. You will give an account to him. Verse 22, if you look at the last verse of chapter three, it says, I saw that there was nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that's his lot, that's his portion from God. For who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who can bring him to see what will be after him? The answer is no human being. No human being. I mean, the way forward for you in the silence of God is not found in looking for what you do not know, but remaining faithful in what you do. God isn't just present with you. He is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. You have to stay engaged. God is working. And one of the primary ways we see God at work amongst believers is when believers get together with fellow Christians in gospel ministry. Help people grow in Christ, help people come to know Christ. That's been my experience, a simple encouragement to do what God says to do. I mean, when you work, it accomplishes something, right? You do something, you act, you exert strength. I've been doing a bunch of yard work in our yard, in our yard this summer and taking out the plants or moving rocks or digging or whatever, and I'm using tools. And it's hard work, you get, you know, even if you're wearing gloves, you get, uh, Blisters and what have you. But I didn't make anything grow. I didn't create anything there. God does that. You're called to work together with God in the work that he's doing. You're called to engage your God-given roles. You're called to use the multi-tools he provides, which is prayer and the word. Knowing that you're interacting with a seemingly hidden, present, active God and a bunch of people at various stages in process. It's what makes you patient. And the bottom line for you there is that, you know, your life means something to God. 
and that, that he is granting you, by his grace, a, an increasingly high view of himself. And he's granting you, by his grace, a, an increasingly humble view of yourself. And he is pointing you to stay laser-focused on the sufficiency of his word and, and pray dependently and be committed to his body, the church, with a deep burden for lost souls. That you help believers grow, you help people come to Christ because Jesus is active in every believer's life. He, in fact, it says that he, Romans 8 says he lives to make intercession for you. Like he's praying for you and I right now. Just work out your salvation as God works in you. Jim Elliott, the missionary, said this, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. William Barrick put it this way, live without reserve, die without regret. God is at work in believers. Only God sustains a believer's life. His ways are hidden, he's present, and he's active. This is what the first three chapters of Ecclesiastes is telling us. What it's like to follow the hidden, present act of God with the full range of human emotion. You're lonely one day, you're burdened the next moment, you're encouraged, you're hopeful, you're devastated. There's this ebb and flow. I'm gonna give you one more quote from J.I. Packer. It's an important one. He said this, Rarely does this world look as if a beneficent providence were running it. Rarely does it appear that there is a rational power behind it all. Often and often what is worthless survives while what is valuable perishes. Be realistic, says the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Face these facts. See life as it is. You will have no true wisdom till you do. That's true for you and I. Packer goes on and he says, many of us need this admonition. For not only are we caught up with the misconception of what wisdom is, we feel that for the honor of God and the sake of our reputation as spiritual Christians, it is necessary for us to claim that we are, so to speak, already in the signal box, here and now enjoying inside information as to the why and wherefore of God's doings. This comforting pretense becomes part of us. We feel that God has enabled us to understand all his ways with us and we take it for granted that we shall be able to see at once the reason for anything that may happen to us in the future. And then he says this, and then something very painful and quite inexplicable happens. Comes along. I don't know, like a worldwide pandemic, like the death of a loved one or something. And he says, our cheerful illusion of being in God's secret counsels is shattered. Our pride is wounded. We feel that God has slighted us. And unless at this point we repent and humble ourselves very thoroughly from our former presumption, our whole subsequent spiritual life may be ruined. We follow a hidden, present, active God. This is the joyful struggle of sanctification. God seems hidden. So many unanswered questions. So many unresolved issues. Life's confusing. It's good to know only God knows. It's good to know that we can pray as we press through the hiddenness. 
God is present with believers. It's comforting to know that only God satisfies and that we can savor and enjoy God's presence as we keep our nose in the word. God is at work in believers. That's challenging. Good to know that only God sustains our life. Good to know that we are dependent on him. And therefore, we engage deeply, independently, and work hard with God. Life is painful. God is good. This should help you make sense of the Christian life. Amen? Lord, we thank you that sometimes you seem hidden. We thank you that you work perfectly. And we thank you that we don't get all the secret answers. And we thank you that we're not in control. And we thank you that we're always dependent upon you. We're always needy. And, and in Christ, we are always victorious. And so we pray in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close our service?
soul is free. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. What a beautiful song to sing at the end of the service. I hope you can sing that with all your heart. Thank you, God, for saving me. If you don't know Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe that he finished the work on the cross, died once for all. If you are a believer, rejoice. Just rejoice. We're going to beat the heat in August. You're already beating the heat, but we're going to beat the heat in August with two services with some increased seating capacity under the tents. So sign up online. We'll keep our social distancing intact. Uh, today, as you exit the tent, please exit to your right, to the playground side, and please exit the tent quickly. You don't need to leave the property quickly. Feel free to, to fellowship with your social distancing and all that. Uh, but I uh, hope you have a wonderful day, and I'm going to read Jude 24 and 25 as we conclude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you.